moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we have an action-packed episode with Amy Rahubchek. And in this episode, and we're going to get uh, get a little bit of Amy's story, but in this episode, there's going to be so much learning that happens throughout the course of the episode. In a broad umbrella, we're going to be talking about how to make sales and selling more fun. But more specifically, this is geared at leaders and how leaders can create environments where you are tailoring your efforts in terms of training, learning, and development to the specific people on your team. How can you make learning an individualized effort as part of a sales team? We're also going to talk about the role that neuroplasticity plays in sales. And Amy's going to tell us a little bit about how you can actually take that into account in terms of your people development, talent development, sales development efforts. And then lastly, we're going to look at how do you make selling the process, the learning more fun, experiential, creative, and turn that into a building blocks effort as you build out your team. So there is going to be a lot of stuff that we cover throughout the course of the episode. So with that being said, Amy, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Dr. Jim. It's just so, plain old Jim. <laughs> I I am a revenue human for life. I was raised by a, a sales leader, right? And this, but wait, listeners, I at the kitchen table, we were asked every night, when did we feel butterflies in our stomach that day? And if we didn't have anything to report, right, we were reminded softly that all growth takes place outside of the comfort zone. I sold for a decade. I built out two sales enablement departments. I did a couple years of consulting. There was a, a chief of customer value for a platform as a service that was a very sexy exit in the legal tech scene. And now I am the host of Revenue Real Hotline. And I produce sales enablement podcasts for for sales floors, for sales teams. That's just scratching the surface. I think one of the things that you mentioned just in your intro that's worth noting is that one very passionate about learning in general, but getting people outside of their comfort zones. And when you think about where learning happens, if you're comfortable in any spot, you're not learning, you're stagnating. You need to push the envelope and become uncomfortable because that's where you actually learn about it. And you and I know each other from Andy Paul's community. And Andy actually posted about this yesterday where, or a couple of days ago, that if you're a sales professional and you're interviewing for some positions and you feel comfortable coming out of an interview with one company and then terrified about, am I over my head with this other company because of the depth of experience or knowledge that you uncovered during the interview process, pick the company that made you feel uncomfortable because that's, yeah, yeah, scares scares the crap out of you because that's where you're going to have the growth. No, you're fine. So those are some great call outs just in the intro. So Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you're involved in right now. So you and I met through a community. What value does being in a community offer? And especially when you're tying it into the learning mindset, 
Yeah. Wow. What a great question. Okay. I am, I would fall into one of the neurodivergent categories, right? ADHD, hypersensitivity, a lot of that going on as well. And I, like many women, was not diagnosed until my early 20s. And I share that just as a quick caveat, because when I was in college, I had, man, even before that, I had been learning, figuring out how to teach myself the whole time through my schooling. And it got to a point where I was so obsessed with learning better and stronger ways to grow and develop that. I don't know, Dr. Jim or Jim, if you remember back in like the early 2000s, there was the Victoria's Secrets had these body sprays and they were all the rage. And so I had all teenage girls had a shit ton of them. And there was one semester where I actually, I read somewhere that your sense that is most closely tied to learning or memory was your sense of smell. And so I had this idea that I was going to take one of these body sprays and assign it to a course at the beginning of the semester. And when I would go into the library, I would douse all of my books and books, whatever, with that scent. And when I would walk in for the test, I would do the same. Now, apply that by 20 years of experimenting around the learning. And it's interesting that you started with Andy Paul, because one of the early posts that really caught my attention, other than he was one of the only people talking about win rates, it was a poll. It was a question posed about how do sellers learn best? And there were a bunch of different categories of formal training programs, their manager, the clients, self-taught, and peers. And in that moment, I realized that all of the things that I learned a tremendous amount from my peers. And I think when I got into sales enablement and started asking these questions, I realized how I wasn't alone. So there was always like a joint, like a a learning with others bend that I had. I remember I started three different peer group meetings where we would discuss on a regular basis, our wins and our losses. There was no manager that set that up. There was no sales enablement team just because I knew that selling is hard, learning how to sell is hard, but also when you're doing it with others, you're not alone. And you can also learn faster in that we're crowdsourcing best practices. You're touching on a few really important points. You and I are part of the Sell Without Selling Out community with Andy Paul, and that's that. That's a great way to combine brain power and advance your own agenda as far as what a sales professional can pick up. I think it's fantastic. But I think what you're hinting at from the power of the community or the cohort, that's well established in learning and development circles. So when you look at large organizations and how they're upskilling or reskilling or improving the capabilities of a group of people within the organization, cohort training classes are the way that they do it. And then you have action items post session that help you build the skill. And what's interesting is that when you think about that in the structure of a sales environment, sales professionals are generally the ones that are typically left to their own devices when it comes to their own development. You got to figure stuff out on your own. The amount of money that we spend, this is a $20 billion sales training in the United States alone, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And the reality of it is that many organizations ignore developing their internal sales team. So most sales professionals are doing exactly what you did, where you're finding your own resources and learning on the fly and all of that sort of stuff. I want to tie this back to a different question. You mentioned that you're on the ADHD spectrum. So I'm a sales leader. I've been in leadership positions for where I've built teams. 
Now, we're not going to speak in monolithic terms, but your most effective sales leaders that you worked for, what did they do well that aligned with you? What are some of the things that you noticed that really enabled you to pick up and excel in those environments? And what are the takeaways that sales leaders need to consider when they potentially have somebody that is neurodivergent on their team? How do they tap into that? And how do they adapt the learning style to fit what works best for that individual? I think there are two things that come to mind right off the bat. The first is like a culture of learning. When in one of my first roles, this was actually in my dad's sales floor, there were books all over the place. There were constantly new trainings about, I, I'm, yeah, I see you've got a lot of books. We have this in common. And so I think that culture of learning, of continuous development is a critical piece. And not to say that it's impossible to grow and develop if you as a seller are not in a place like that. However, it helps. And I'll give one stat. This was it just dropped on me. I don't know where it came from and I haven't confirmed it, but it was something like half 50% of the learning stipends that are given to sellers, 50% are not used. And mm. it was posed to me as a question that I should incorporate in my own discovery motions with my clients or prospects so that I can just have a better understanding of how big of a hill we're going to have when it comes to driving retention, which is how I, that's my job as a sales enablement professional, right? That what, if what I introduce is not being retained at 80%, like at scale, then I have not done my job. And then the second piece of it is collaboration. And what I mean by that is I think that one of the core competencies or character traits of a great salesperson is that they're very competitive and not in a like negative manner, competitive with themselves right? They want to do better than they did yesterday, which as far as I'm concerned is the most important competition in this game, hard stop. And But the collaboration aspect of learning how to sell back to the peers, right? And what I mean by that is like these, I think of dashboards, right? And the aggressive use of dashboards. It's very easy for a team environment to slip into a toxic competition and it, this can come from the comp models, right? The management. And so it's, or just a, a poor understanding of what it means to coach a team, not enough messaging around how this is a team sport or whatever. And so I think that hoarding of knowledge, hoarding of best practices, hoarding of ever fill in the blanks will absolutely destroy the team's ability to learn and grow together. And so those are the, the two things. And I'm thinking of Thomson Reuters. And specifically, like I, they were so focused on collaboration that there was a point where one of the new products that we introduced was being triple comped as it was introduced just to ensure that there was no infighting and everybody would work together. And, and this actually came up at a, the CRO summit in New York City last week. The CRO of Own Backup had talked about doing the same thing to reduce some of the tension between customer success and sales. And so, again, it's the establishing a learning culture where people are proactively seeking out and sharing what they've learned. And then, of course, the collaboration of learning together. It's interesting that you mention establishing a learning culture. That's It's difficult to pull off. And when I look at my current situation, that's one of the things that I'm trying to establish is that you, you and I both know what the metrics in sales. So you have all of these outbound emails and phone calls that go out. 
and you have very little that comes back. And if you're doing it ineffectively, you have even less. As sales professionals, if you want to be successful in the modern selling world, you have to look at and research and study what's customer behavior telling you? How do you adapt your selling approach to answer the call of what customers are doing? And for people that are used to being hyper-focused on just the outbound volume metrics, I they don't have building into their day an opportunity to learn and self self-reflect and examine what you're doing. It's difficult to do. So it's actually one of the projects that uh, that I'm working on internally right now. So I want to I want to springboard into a conversation about uh, you know how your mental framework prepares you to learn on an ongoing basis. You, you described it as neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. So you know this whole idea that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think it's pretty pretty funny because here I am as a Gen Xer, so not exactly somebody who grew up with TikTok or Twitter or any of that sort of stuff. And I'm like all over the place on as many different social channels as I can manage because that's where the customers are. So that's a new skill that you have to pick up, but I'm constantly like like podcasting. I launched this months ago, didn't have any idea on how do you do it. So from a sales perspective, how do you leverage your brain's ability to just pick up new things and get in that mode because this is tied to that learning culture. So how do you set yourself up at a desk level to get that part of your brain or your capability? What are the things that you've done to position yourself to continuously learn? Great question. Okay. So there are two things that I that come right to mind. And it's funny because these are also the first is one that I generally start all sales trainings with or workshops. It's the reminder of the, I know that gremlin. The, I know that gremlin is that little voice inside your head that keeps your arms crossed as your as a new concept is being deuced. And it's that, I know that gremlin. And so what I mean by that is, or to say it differently, what part of learning how to learn, which is something we have to learn again. I think it's one of the the greatest shames of our education system. It's this frame that like education or learning is something that happens to you and then ends at a certain date, which is nonsense, obviously. But part of learning how to learn is learning how to silence that. I know that gremlin, because as long as you think that you know that your brain will remain closed and it's human nature, right? We like feeling smart. We want to feel smart. We want to. And so I generally remind, I remind people of that at the beginning of the talk and with the knowledge that it's my job, like I'm not saying that everything that I'm presenting here is going to work for you 100%. However, there's, I know that there's a pearl in here somewhere. And, but as long as that voice is allowed to reside in your head while you're receiving new information, you stand zero chance of incorporating it or even thinking about it. And so that is a massive one, like really, and it takes practice to learn and grow. Okay. The second one though, is the, what it's called the competency quadrant and the competency quadrant breaks down the four phases of learning. The first is unconscious incompetence. And as they say, it is a blissful place to be sitting all nice and ignorant in all that is that we do not know, right? We just don't know what we don't know. The second phase is conscious incompetence. And and then it continues conscious competence, unconscious competence. But conscious incompetence is 
the hardest one by a long shot because for two, a couple of reasons. One, you're staring in that mirror of truth, right? And so right off the bat, like what I just said about humans liking to feel smart and whatever informed, it's the you're hit with that. And then the second thing is at that moment, when you're standing at the bottom of the hill or the bottom of the mountain, the top seems very far away. And so most people, when they step into conscious incompetence or even think about stepping into conscious incompetence, right? They get very fearful, right? They're afraid and most will run away. This back to conscious or unconscious incompetence or whatever. Maybe they're just trying not to think about it anymore. And so part of now when I bring this up and I bring this up for a couple of reasons, the first is that this is the reality of the situation, right? To be standing at the bottom of the mountain and feel completely and totally overwhelmed is totally normal. It happens to everybody, but it's what we do in those situations that differentiate us. But there's also, there's things that we can do to expedite the time that we spend hanging out in the hardness. Okay. And here's a perfect example. If I want to learn how to cold call, I can make a hundred calls in a day, or I can do it over the course of a year, also known as ripping off the bandaid. And it's a choice. And then I think the third, which is a little bit off the subject, but it's breaking it's instead of trying to boil the ocean, it's breaking down the things that you're learning into blocks and doing them one at a time. And I, I think that we've come very far away from this in sales, right? Onboarding. We don't do a good job teaching the fundamentals anymore, the building blocks, mostly because we're treating people, human beings like cogs in an industrial wheel. We don't expect them to stay around. We are burning through them. We'll listen to how we talk about them at the proverbial table, sellers are not problem solvers. They need to be fixed or whatever. And I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but Miller Hyman has a, had, did a study. It was a talent study. This was a couple of years back, but they asked us, do you have enough talent on your team to do what needs to be done this year? And I think it was something crazy, like an 85, 90% said no. And I, I remember feeling rage when I read that because I was like, well, whose responsibility is that? But with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. And well, so, but they- anyway, if you're thinking that it's, that these people are not capable of growing or changing, then the chances of you as a leader making the changes to actually reskill your team are zero. Yeah. And referencing the Miller-Hyman study, I think the point that has to be made is there's a structural component of sales hiring that's at play there. So sales organizations are always looking for, hey, we want experienced reps because we believe that an experienced rep is going to be able to hit the ground running, hit the ground running. Also known as we don't want to take the time to train them. And the reality of it is that any new person in a role in any function is probably going to spend their first six, nine months getting themselves onboarded and figuring stuff out. So this idea that you can pluck somebody from one environment, plug them into another environment and voila, they're self-sufficient within a matter of 30 days or whatever is just ridiculous. So when you hear the 85% of CROs believe that they don't have the right people in place, the real comment is we don't have the infrastructure to build our people the right way to get them effective is really how, how I look at it from a talent perspective. But I want to back up a little bit on a couple of the things that, that you mentioned. And specifically your comment about, I know that gremlin. And Justin Welsh actually writes about this off and on. And I noticed this the the other day where one of the ways that he's tackled this is that anytime that you want to 
figure something out, dive deep into the topic and try to do it yourself across all of these platforms and then write about what happened. So that exercise of activating your dive into a particular topic is a way to combat that gremlin because what it does is that it allows you to train yourself to operate from a position of curiosity. And that's what's critical in terms of getting away from the gremlin. Oh, that's never going to work. Let me see how I make this work or how can I do this in a way that uh, that I'm figuring out what works for me. So it's it just caught my attention when you mentioned it because he had actually ri- he writes about this pretty I, significantly. I, I, I want to add to that because I'm yeah. remind. So I do this as well. I call them observation logs, and I when I've designed onboarding programs, incorporate an observation log for the new person for them to keep track of what they're learning for that exact reason. But more specifically, or more to the point, there's this thing called the learning pyramid. And the learning pyramid breaks down the different tactics or the different types of, let's say, learning scenarios and assigns a retention percentage to it. And I don't even remember what the breakdown are, but I remember the base of the pyramid, right? 90% of what is learned with the intent to teach other people is retained. I'm going to say that again. 90% of what is learned with the intent to teach other people is retained. This is why I love it, like the idea of incorporating like as uh, an onboarding series for people that have just gotten through onboarding, right? And so at the, if someone knows that they're finishing onboarding and they're going to talk about it or whatever, and they're going to teach others coming behind them what it felt like and blah, 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 they're going to be paying closer attention and they're going to retain what they're learning at a 90 percentile. Same thing with... Uh, whatever. There's a bunch of different ways that, that that plays out. And so the observation log, just a day, once a day after each session. And think about the quality control aspect that, that comes with having access to the these observation logs. If I'm trying to iterate on my onboarding programming or whatever it is that I'm doing, I can then go back and revisit that experience and revisit the aha moments that I had. And then go from there. Dr. Jim, or Jim, I've got one for learning to podcast. Like it, all the tools and the day, like I, so I'm with uh, Justin Welsh on this in a big way. I can't wait to go back and find it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.